Hello, welcome back to the show. I'm DDK. Let's talk some esports. Franchising in the sense of like unifying a lot of shit we all deal with and we all do from player contracts and how teams deal with tournament organizers and how tournament organizers deal with players and the, everything. I think you can you can clean it up and unify it some without like giving the keys to a bunch of people and locking everybody else out. That's the scoots discussing his insights on the franchise versus free market models, and that in his view, we don't have to move to that franchise model to get a lot of its benefits. We also talk about the state of Counter-Strike broadcasts. Is it what it should be? What are the next steps? We also talk about Quake and StarCraft. You know, why are they so amazing and where did they go? And what does it take to make a great esport? And, and so much more. It is a long conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So without further delay, I bring you Scoots. What's your general uh, feeling about live production right now in, in CSGO? Uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, so live productions, I think, are, you know, at a great place for esports in general. I mean, we're getting very sports-like in how our product put together for the, for the viewer, both in the arenas um, as well as certainly when it's, it's put through the broadcast systems put out on the internet and now on TV in some regards even. You know, the, we're seeing more and more actual TV trucks and, and that kind of technology being used in production instead of us in the old days figuring out how to fake it to, you know, to make it look as good as we could, as cheap as we could, you know. Um, now, like, it's kind of the same gear that would do a football game or do a major event somewhere, right? Literally the same trucks, sometimes the same crew in the trucks learning about esports. And two weeks ago, they did, you know, an NFL game. Uh, obviously, you've done e-league stuff. You know that is a sports company doing it, so their production values are very sports-like. Uh, so, but here's where it gets a little conundrum in the sense of like an, uh, our earlier conversation about the open market and like doggy dog world of Counter Strike versus a lockdown developer model like an Overwatch or or a League of Legends. Uh, it's a very expensive proposition for team owners uh, for uh, tournament organizers to kind of have to keep out doing themselves. Right? There is a uh, there is a, there's a level of diminishing returns there after a while of how, what money you can get back, no matter how much cooler you make it uh, or add it, if you're not adding stuff that can directly be ad revenue, so to speak. So it, it's it's something probably all the tournament organizers would say, like we spend probably too much on our show, but we have to. Um, uh, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, these, these organizations aren't making millions of dollars every time they do an arena. So... Uh, I think I think value-wise and like what it looks like and how it's run is getting more and more professional, right? Again, coming from your guys' first event where we were sitting at a little black magazine at ATEM and, you know, I was yelling at you guys, you know, literally because we had no voice comm or anything. I was yelling at you because you were 10 feet in front of me, not even that. Um, to, you know, now you guys have full-on studios. You bring in the big trucks when you do your, your arena events, and that's kind of indicative of everybody in the space, you know? ESL maybe has been going at it a lot longer, but... They used to cobble stuff together, you know, and that it's all it's all upgraded, right? And we're not even quite to 4K and stuff yet, but uh, 1080 60 is kind of going through the pipeline. But again, I kind of I think sometimes what we do see, Dan, is stuff's being added and it's gimmicky, but it doesn't necessarily add. So let's talk about Counter Strike. It doesn't necessarily add to the game of Counter Strike, right? We start to see a lot more augmented reality graphics because uh, that's the next big thing. It's the next big thing in sports too, because the guy doing the NFL at the half report can walk on a virtual football field in the studio, right? And the guy can run next to him and stuff. So it's, it's that same kind of technology, but 
some of it's being used gimmicky and some of it's being used for informative and educational. Right? And we just got to be careful with where we use that stuff. Um, uh, uh, you know, analyst desks never had them 10 years ago. Right. We, we had casters. We had a host a caster. That was it. So the fact that we even have analyst desks and now they're again being more and more flushed out with tool sets being used on analyst desks. You know, it's one thing to have, you know, a host and two guys that know what they're talking about and they're just talking. Uh, you know, but we spent years where they would just, you know, okay, here's the player roster graphic. Let's talk about the players. And then the interactiveness was the map veto was kind of live, right? But now we're we're cranking like on a more regular basis instant replays and replays after the fact that uh, an analyst has picked and then it breaks down with a telestrator, you know, those kind of things. Again, getting to the next level of information to the fan, I think those are where I like to see innovation, you know? I, for years, I was like, why doesn't Yanko have a telestrator everywhere he goes, man? Because the kid would, that guy would love to go sit in production, pick out things to talk about if someone just gave him the tools. And he gets those tools now and now and again, and other analysts now and again, but they're not necessarily standard. Um, those are the things I would rather have money spent on personally as a hardcore Counter-Strike fan, uh, because I think that that's that education and entertainment wrapped up. Like, yeah, you can blow off more cannons when someone wins and more confetti and more flames and more gobos and moving lights and make it more like a rock concert to me. But that's I'd rather have less of that show. Uh, I would have it. I, w I would like it. And this is the dilemma of a T.O., right? You have to be entertained. Right. But sporting events don't entertain the venue like we do. Right. Every event tier one is kind of like a Super Bowl, right? Huge opening shows and huge awards and huge everything, right? It's like it's this thing's never going to happen again, right? Um, and they happen, you know, ESL does five of the same events around the world or whatever, that genre, more than that, depending on what brand you're talking about. But you know what I mean? It's a much bigger, it's a much bigger who than like a Tuesday Laker game, right? But a Tuesday Laker game in L.A., has a lot of hype, has a full arena, spends a lot less money on the production, still beams it out to the world, and that's maybe more sustainable. But everything we do is like the finals, like the playoffs. And it's not, I don't know if we can tone it down now, but I imagine the TOs would love to pull some of it back now, right? Just because that's what, what's valuable and what isn't when it comes to really showing the sport. Does that make sense? It's it's a really, yeah, no, it's it's a really interesting back and forth in a way because... Because like you say, it feels like the emphasis hasn't really been put in the right places in some respects. Like, for example, uh, DreamHack, the very first DreamHack Masters we had in Malmö. You, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Yanko with the, the Telestrator and so on. He's doing the Weatherman segment. And we were like, yes, you know, finally, this is this is fresh. This is, you know, what we've, we've been waiting for. This is a much better way to deliver the information to the viewers as to what's going mm -hmm. on. You can visualize stuff as opposed to just having a bunch of analysts just talking and, and you having to, like, imagine things. We're going in the right direction. And yeah. then we just don't see it again for ages. And as you say, it's just not a standard. And it's all it is 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 an extra, like maybe one extra pair of hands, one you know, one extra technician to you know take responsibility over it. Just having that extra monitor, and you know, I, I mean, you would know the the actual tech behind it better than than I would. But that cannot be an enormous investment. But you know what? So what is the reason why we aren't seeing some of these investments? Is is it something to do with the fact that it's like one of the ways that I look at it, for example, is that it seems that TOs will be in a position where they are trying to get up to the level of the of the major TOs, so that you know your ESLs or and, and at this point now you know your faces or and before like you know the MLGs and and the PGLs and so on. And then once you kind of get to that level, to that scale, to that investment, then it's about how can I show off to Valve? And so then everybody's thinking about okay, we don't want to 
you know necessarily do things that everyone has done we were trying to find something new and flashy so pgl you know they they were the first to really um experiment with these these camera angles these really flashy um sort of fly throughs and, and flow, floaty cams and honestly a lot of them were kind of hard for me to look at um at first obviously they refined it over time but initially it's just like this is clearly because quite gimmicky is it something of the way that you think you know that valve are perhaps communicating to people because people are trying to impress valve people want to bid for the major and they have and to do so they have to show that they can innovate i don't know i don't know if it's any sort of communication from the valve folks in the sense of hey if you're uh, I, and again you and you probably can't speak to it but like tos would certainly be way more i'm just saying that because you do work for a to but um they, they they like they would know definitely what valve says here's our hit list these are the five things we care about location date you know time zone but do they delve down into you know um venue size you know how many seats do they dive down into that kind of stuff like within the show we want this or that i don't know if they do right i mean i've had tons of conversations at, with valve at events but never about like what they ask of a to i know that you know, to your point, the TOs do all put together a pitch deck, basically a proposal, and they all sling it at Valve at the majors going, we want one, here's the cool new things we're going to do, and here's where we kind of want to do it. Like, you know, it's like, you know, again, you're, you're, it's a proposal. Um, so, but I don't know. Yeah, but what I, I just don't know if um, within that, like, um, request for proposal, you know, from Valve to them, if that what stuff's in there and what is it? You know, we want augmented reality. We want a use of our API on the stage. You know, I don't know if they ask for that kind of stuff. Because um, that is something new. This, the, the use of the API over the last couple of years is more and more integrated in both. Obviously, custom UIs have to use it, right, in the sense of uh, the spectator tools that you use in some regards. But also on the stage, you know, above the guys, they die, they catch on fire or whatever. You know, that those things are all regulated now. Bomb goes off automatically. API grabs it. Boom. Lights go off in the venue. So. Those kind of things, and again, it's just finding, to your point, like what, what PGL first started to do, some of those flybys, gimmicky. But then they refined which ones looked good on what maps, when to use them, what other things to add to it. Not so gimmicky anymore. Now flows from, like, break from player camera because it's in between rounds to now we're back in the round, now we're live again. So they found their their rhythm to use the tool, right? Because that's, like, one thing about broadcasting is obviously it's a creative art, right? It's It's... You're, you're creating this thing, right? But there's so much logic put behind the creativity on the show, right? We're going to go from here to here to here to here to here. Then maybe if this happens, we're going to go here. If that doesn't happen, we're going here. The creativity is what you do within those where you're going, right? But in the director's minds and in the show flow, like you know that when I'm to get in game, I'm going to go here. Then I'm going to pull this this graphic transition up then we're going to go to the fly through then we're going to go to the terrace right it's it's kind of a logic to the creativeness right um so it's just figured out where those things fit and where they're not overly gimmicky right we we uh i think like a prime example of like what got old quick is the collusion major for the very first time the api was used on stage to where it triggered a bomb effect of great intensity and it was flames like it literally like the front of the stage just <laughs> flame cannons in Romania. So like a little probably easier to do than maybe a North American venue in the sense of the, like these things were hot and loud. Right. And after a while, I was like, okay, you cannot do that for two more days. Every time the bomb goes off, that's going to be way too annoying. Right. Whoosh. Woo. I don't know. You know, it's just crazy. So it's just figuring out when to use the stuff. Right. But again, I, what I, what I look at, and even if I look at the Super Bowl, and uh, like, I look at a lot, of, I don't watch a lot of sports every day of the week. 
but I watch a lot of sports as finales, whether it's World Cup stuff, Olympic stuff, Super Bowls, World Series, hockey, Stanley Cups. Like I try to watch, you know, NBA finals. And I, oftentimes, obviously I'm watching for the athleticism, but I'm also watching like what new and innovations are broadcast companies doing for those sports because that's kind of where they would show off new stuff, right? Or it's been refined for the season. They're going to show it. And so I look at what they all do, right? Um, and I, I think we're, again, very close. But again, I still think that if you look at a, a standard esports event, tier one in an arena, we're still got a kind of a rock show wrestling and then sport vibe, right? Sports has less of this show vibe, right? Um, and again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a different thing, right? Um, and we're also obviously sometimes entertaining for much longer in the venue. So maybe you have to be a little bit more like that, right? You're not just going for one basketball game. It'd be like going to watch three basketball games in a row. So what would the NBA do in an arena in between all that? How would they, would they, would it be more showy? Would it be more high energy than a regular one gamer? Maybe, right? There's reasons kind of why you want to keep the energy in the room over a long period of time. So that's loud music. That's bumping lights. You know, you can't be just so stoic. Okay, please welcome. Here's cloud nine. There's liquid. Okay, they're going to play. So I get it, but I also like know how expensive all that shit is, right? You know, it takes a lot of people and all those different things. So, um, yeah, and we set up, the one other thing I do rant about a lot is we often set up like a concert versus a sport as well in the arena, right? I love when events are in the round, right? Because that feels like a sport to me. That's a boxing ring. That's a pitch. That's the football field, right? That's the basketball court in those arenas. That floor is often one of those sports' floors. And, but we tend to, and I say we collectively, set up at a corner, right? At an end. It's easier, right? You cut off a chunk of the arena so you can use all of it behind it for production and backstage, secure that whole wing, if you will. Then you've got kind of a U-shape in front of you. That's your audience, right? And a floor. Um, but that's what, that's what concerts do, right? Sports don't do that. Sports don't do that, right? Um, uh, so, uh, I, yeah. Like international does it. We've had a few counter-strikers that do it. Other events do it. I just like that, right? Um, and to me, that makes it feel more sports-like and less concert-like as well, right? Not to mention that if you do this in a big arena, I'm ranting again, Dan. Sorry, I get, to get this a live production all the way. Again, these arenas, for the most part, are built to do two-hour things, right? Concerts, uh, a football game, a basketball game, you know, something in there for a couple hours graduation you know they're very rarely rented and open all day for events other than esports really you know when you think of like or, or trade shows even but it's it's but that's usually using the floor space and not necessarily the seating space point being if you set up a, a typical you know rectangular oval arena as we normally do and you cut off an end of it and that's where the stage is then you've got a huge chunk of your audience that has to turn sideways to see the stage, right? Because it, it's, it's, it's to my left, right, if I'm on the one side of the bowl. Only if I'm in the back or I'm on the floor am I straight ahead to the show. Now, yes, they hang. They all hang uh, big screens in front of me so I can look straight ahead and look at the show, but I can do that from home in a way. So it's not like, you're, like again, if you go to a concert, you, everyone is looking at the concert, right? But 
you don't sit in that concert seat for nine hours, is my point, right? If you're at outdoor festivals, go all week and all nights and stuff, you know what I mean? But they're, you're standing, right? Or you're sitting on the grass. So it's kind of a weird, like those things can get uncomfortable after a while is what I'm also saying. When you make people turn to the side to watch something that long, whereas if you put it right in the middle, every seat in those arenas is aimed to the middle, right? So I'm in there for nine, 10 hours, but at least I'm looking straight ahead, right? I'm not turning, I'm not crooked, you know? Just just look at any tape of any of those events where they set up against the side and like everyone in those huge middle sections is turned. Like their whole body is turned in the seat. Anyway, my last rant. <laughs> that's so good. I actually think that I actually think that's um because I mean I'm I'm fine. I'm sitting sitting back listening. I, I think you know it's it's it would be actually amazing if you started your own podcast as well, to be honest. I think there's a lot of stuff that you can speak to because of um the fact that you have a multitude yeah. of different perspectives uh, uh, to, to look at something from. And, and that's obviously um, gives you a lot of uh, unique insights, which are really interesting to listen to. And, and sort of a, a rewinding a, a slightly back, um, I have to say that um, in, in some ways, I think I was probably being a bit too harsh. And also, I think that um, in one of the reasons um, that I was too harsh, I think is is that sort of sense of urgency or that immediacy that you know we want everything to be better just like right now. And I kind of forget sometimes that some of the implementations that I want and that I think are the next step to these live productions to make them much more engaging is um, is actually having proper, proper analytics and having an analytics platform that's not only uh, can, cre- can help to create an enormous degree of insight, but also having an, an API that you know can interact very uh, seamlessly with a broadcast. And that's not really something that TOs are going to be paying to develop because that's a very costly process. You need to find mm-hmm. very yeah. specific individuals to develop it. And that is actually happening right now. We, we do actually have something. And I think you know it will take time for it to be integrated. It'll be, take time for people to work out how to sort of put it in. But, and I think, um, I think it's actually uh, an issue right now. I, d- I don't know if you're too um, up together with 16.0 and the work that they've been doing, but they have a platform like this. And, and uh, you know, at the moment, they're sort of going business yeah. to business and they're, you know, trying to focus on some of the professional teams and so on. Um, but their platform is is incredible. It's everything I always wanted in, you know, basically being able to pass an enormous amount of data and then having very specific filters for that data, as well as a very large variety of, of tools to create insights from the data. For, for example, you know, being able to see, you know, uh, to select for only buy rounds, uh, you know, in, in you know, in in like the last twenty Astralis demos on Mirage, only buy rounds, only rounds where devices had an AWP, only rounds where a smoke was thrown in this time frame to the AWP, and then you can see the statistical likelihood of the positions that he takes after that and how it affects his rotations, for example. You know, something to, to that degree is crazy. And imagine, for example, if we had um, a tool that that's intelligent that can, you know, link straight away to, you know, to to a broadcast, and in the f- freeze time over each player's head, you can see various statistics that could be pulled from, you know, all all sorts of things that may- maybe it could just be just, you know, this this player's average kills on this map or something like that. Or maybe it could be something a bit more uh, deeper from an insight perspective. Or maybe, you know, in that moment when you know, because it's pretty obvious when, let's say, on Mirage, a, a T-side's going to go for an A-set piece. You usually have, like, 15 seconds of warning at the very least before that happens, or even longer. You can you can quickly pop up a graphic of how often that they, they've been successful with that but on a percentage basis. 
or you can even like there's even more crazy stuff that you can do i don't, don't yeah. want to go down the rabbit hole with it but that's the level of um added engagement um that is possible through ver these very complex tools and we we aren't seeing it just yet but i think that's on the horizon yeah the and, 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 and i am familiar with the platform i'm not as in-depth as you've probably seen it but i'm uh i am familiar with a little as they're doing and it's kind of a natural progression of what others like you know like the idea of counter-strike stats go goes way back to the day of got frag and like we used to parse stats again much like half-life tv does now and these new businesses are uh are kind of the the gener the 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 upgrade of gather it now what do you do with it now how do you really gather it right um and parse it because even 16 they're not even the first ones to kind of go to teams and go hey we can parse this stuff we can give you some better analytical analytical data right so it's kind of the evolution of, of of basically just grabbing the stuff that you can right um and it's awesome because uh, the more and more it's refinable to your point and then quickly as in almost instantaneously uh can be regurgitated in a graphical format into a broadcast it is would that's the kind of stuff I want to see, right? Like I, I'm not a huge bells and whistles kind of guy. I think you need X amount of bells and whistles, but then once you're there, stop that race, you know, stop the pyrotechnic race, if you will. And let's, let's get into the, let's get into the sports side of it. Right. Um, uh, because let, the hardcore, like the, 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 the regulars of the restaurant, I don't give a shit if a con confetti cannon goes off or a flame cannon goes off. I don't care how big the trophy is. Like, uh, and those things don't matter to me, right? And they, some of that stuff matters to the player. You, you need a show, you need a spectacle in some regards, but you know what I mean? Like, like I want, when I'm, I want that, that value when I'm watching, right? Um, and so that, to, this, this latest platform I, I know is like the most robust that you're talking about. And it, it, it would save yeah. analyst desks, I think, because I think analyst desks are so stagnant. And imagine if you can, an analyst has a point to make about you know just using Astralis again on Mirage and about rotations and you can see, and this is actually a crazy thing that they've done they, they've actually gone like a hundred percent of the way with their ambition with it and like one of the the most I think the most expensive thing in their project is that they 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 store all the demos locally and they have this instant demo player so if you if you're looking at a particular player and you know you go to a specific round where that you know that's what the filter has given you is like you know a couple of these rounds and you pick one it then shows you within in the time frame that 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 action or thing that you want to see has happened it shows you the pov if they have it that is crazy which is crazy which means that on an analyst desk you can have like just at the just at the tip at the tip of your fingers just just an incredible amount of visualization to yeah. complex points of yeah because then, really then going on then the analyst job is going to become knowing the tool set therefore knowing what what to get out of it and then preconceiving based on the matchup what kind of stuff would be good to pull to talk about before the match um and you could even define that once the map and pick a band starts happening right you could again a lot of cool stuff beforehand and then obviously when you're watching the match as an analyst you now have this whole tool belt on to back up any kind of point or any new point that you might now be able to make because you can pull a visual to go with it right and that's also part of it too like it gets boring when it's just a couple guys like regular TV hates uh, when like they just sit on something, they like to jump everywhere. Right. Because people kind of have short visual attention spans. Right. So that's why there's lots of cut. You go here, you go here, you show this, go bring a graphic up back to here. They, even though you're in the same segment, you're kind of bouncing around. Right. You're keeping it lively. So again, throw some in game, have these guys talking over it. 
running these new stats, um, then the problem becomes <coughs> when analyst desks don't get enough time, right? In our sport, um, you know, that often happens where the analysts have two, three minutes, and then it's maps and away you go, right? Because, again, it's a tight schedule. So the other side of this coin is if you're going to have cool tools, you have to block out time in the show to properly use them. Um, otherwise, you know, that's kind of unfortunate too, right? And I know things run late and all those, but... What, what's the solution, Scott? Because we've had this problem for so long that analysts don't, already don't have enough time. And we, don't, we don't even have any tools um, for them to use. So, so, and I think so many people have been racking their brains. How do we, like, what, what do you do to fix this? And, and there's no tournament organizers that are really trying to address the status quo. Uh, do you well, have any insight as to like I mean, it, how it, you even it fix ends this? Up, uh, as part of the much bigger conversation about production and, and costs as well, too, right? I mean, they're trying to get as many games in per day, and we've less we've lessened that, right? We're not doing four BO3s anymore at the top levels. Three sometimes, but man, that's scary. That's dangerous unless you're doing it in a studio setting where there's crowds, kind of. Thing. Um, so uh, I think part of it is um the the long day already right um if we could get away with uh you know uh, a fan base that was a-okay with rolling in for one match one best of three in an, in an arena um consistently and maybe two then you probably in your broadcast day could block proper timeout for the pre the post the in between maps where it seems like it, it seems like you all have plenty of time when your schedule is pretty light, one or two, two best of threes. seems like that broadcast day allows for proper analyst desk, right? It's when you add the third best of three that er they, everyone starts trimming quickly because you don't know how long it can go, right? And so you have to not give those 15 minutes between each map or before each matchup even because that could add three hours by the time you get to that third best three and now you're in your first, you know what I mean? Those overtimes and all that. So that's the first thing is if you limit the maximum broadcast day by how many matches you did even put on the calendar that day, the more wiggle room you've got for longer matches. Cause again, we don't have a game that has a set time like sports does, you know, other than, you know, sports have pretty set times. There are timeouts, there are overtimes and stuff, but it's pretty dialed in a lot of regards. If, if you're a broad from the broadcast perspective, how long will a, a baseball game go? How long will it, I mean, there's so much data that they kind of have a window, right, of that kind of stuff. But again, like you can have, you can have three best of threes that go two, 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 two. Sorry, that would be four. No overtime, it's pretty easy matches. And then you, it's, you know, wow. But you could have three best of threes that go to three every time and have two overtimes in every best of three. And that is like adding a whole other series, right? So I think it starts with having a, I think it starts with, this is, again, it's pie in the sky, Dan. It starts with planning your perfect match down to the minute, right? We're going to open with this, and, and we're going to have this long for the analyst desk, and it needs to be this long because of these tools, right? We're going to have player intros this long. Like you lay out the ideal best of three where everyone gets enough content on the table, and then you put as many of those in that you can do, and hopefully it's at least two, right? Um and because I think that's kind of like, again, we had a saying that show is king, right? Like, sh like the, the reason we're all here is for the show, for the thing. So it's got to be the most important thing we're doing, right? So that is part of the show. And, and for us, uh, it is, like, I would say, for most, at least 
fairly hardcore Counter-Strike fans, like, we'd all love that analyst section to be not so quick and not so the same stuff we've heard over and over because we all watch, you know, all the time. So I've heard Thorin say the same stuff for many years and now Yanko and now Sponge, right? Because there's only so much without, again, more to dive into. They're going to kind of give the same couple layers of the onion every time, right? Oh, here's Fnatic and Nip. All right, well, here's what we always talk about. What's a little unique this time? But it's, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, but you got to, if, if you give the analyst desk five minutes, you're going to get very basic shit. If you give them guaranteed, you guys got 15 minutes, and it turns into, okay, how do we fill our 15 minutes? We're going to do this, this, and this. You're going to get more out of it, right? Um, if, you, if you give them a weatherman segment by a TV, you're going to get some cool shit out of that, but you got to block it in. And you got to be willing to not cut it, because, again, I, it, probably less now uh, than when I started, because I was hosting kind of at the beginning of Go, and it, so there was a lot of learning from TOs on just how to do stuff, right? Gfinity didn't really know how to live stream. You guys were learning how to do live streaming with a different kind of game. And uh, I mean, ESL was shifting to a different, you know what I mean? Different, different levels, of, levels of learning to do different parts of a show. But so many times, so many times we were the first things to get cut. Yep, no analyst section. We're just going to go straight to the casters. Or Scott, you're going to do it really quick. Just get the predictions. And, like, we would get pissed. We'd be like, man, you're paying us all good money. Why are we here? Make it part of the show. Eat the five fucking minutes. Five more minutes, right? Eat the ten minutes, right? The people that are watching, like, if you let us give it to them something good, they're going to be okay with it, right? Uh, so, But that we are the first thing to go, right? They can't cut the cast, you know? Um, and so, and again, those are back in the days when we were cramming in four best of threes, you know? And so by that second best of three, if you were running late, we'd be like, all right, well, Sorry, guys, this is a quick one, so I'm going to ask you this. We're going to get right into the veto, right? Because we've got no fucking time. <laughs> you know, you've been on those desks, right? And you've certainly been sitting at the, at the caster side waiting to get thrown to, and it's just very speeded up. So less, less, less matches a day and a better thought-out rounded show, right? I thought E-League, although um, their shows were tight for TV, was a very well-put-together show the few times I did it, right? Like, they knew exactly what they were going to do every second and they didn't cut it. They did. They, they were short. Like again, you ask anyone who worked E League, we'd want more time to talk about stuff. It was it was too short of a desk segment, right? Same kind of problem. But it was like clockwork. Boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? I mean, again, that's because that's years of TV production, right? On how you do run-throughs and how you time shit and where you put your B-roll and you know your, your other content. Anyway, and everyone's getting there. Don't get me wrong. Like all shows are fairly similar now. Um. But yeah, I, I think if we if we trim the day, then you can you can lengthen the segments, right? Simple as that. But that all costs money, right? Is that one more back to the the money and the tos not making a whole lot of money in these events? Is that one more arena day? Is that two more arena days? Is that th too many that have to happen like in group play that the audience doesn't see? Like because they, again, the longer they pack it in, the more they t-shirts they sell, the more food they sell in the venue, everything is more too, right? The more they get out of the equipment, the more they get out of the crew for that day. So it's not an easy, it's not an easy answer, right? It's a really, we, we're at a production level that is really, really expensive. Um, to the point, let's, let, I'm going to bring this up before we move on because this is breaking news. Riot has their world championship coming up. They had, Riot, yeah. right, runs a franchise league, right? Big eSport LCS, right? 
They, for logistical financial reasons, are keeping their North American, they're broadcasting the games from Asia. I think somewhere in Asia is the final. I don't think it's Europe. I think it's Asia. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, but they're doing, since they yeah, have a studio and they have full facilities in North America, LCS studios, they're keeping, they're remoting. They're basically remoting it. So the, the analyst desk and the casters will be in, uh, will be calling the games from N.A., and camera shots of the the audience, probably a stage host, and the players will come from the event itself, right? Crazy. That's Riot doing that. Riot doing that. Yeah, it's, it's mad. So, uh, yeah. I mean, as a commentator, it's just it's just really unimaginable. <laughs> I mean, oh, and that's a totally different problem. Like, wait, you wait, you want me to work the Super Bowl of the game I love? These are these because these are people that work for them all year round. And I, I'm just going to come to where I go every goddamn Monday? What? What? Meanwhile, like, there's a, a stadium full of 80,000 people. Like, Bird's Nest was last year, right? So, like, wherever it is this year. I, I mean, how? Yeah. For, I mean, forget, like, them. Because I'm bringing it up because it's them saving money, right? Less no, no hotel. Uh, that's a lot of plane flights over there. It's a big crew, right? Um, it's a whole other setup of production gear to facilitate broadcasting them live from there too they can do it lighter if they don't have all the stuff there if they, it's like you know you have to worry about producing kind of a stage and not the analyst area and the broadcast you know the casting areas and all those different things so but to your point if you're one of those talent that is a kick in the dick like i would be like i would be so <laughs> bummed i'm like wait i worked all year to do the big final worlds it'd be like it'd be like if they did the international like in seattle at a ballroom somewhere the talent only it's like uh, I think what are you it's doing? like one thing as well oh, like yeah. the major for for your profession especially if you're if you're a commentator the major is the major for the players but it's also the major for the commentators too and not only in a in, in this sort of egocentric way where it's where it's like oh, i know i just want to be there in, in all the action and i can do a better job it's it's that obviously that that obviously reflects on on how the broadcast sounds and it's much hype for the much more hype for the viewers but also it, it is yeah. like you do go the extra level not just because of the crowd but because you look at it like it is that one tournament that it is like it is the, your international or your major for as a commentator like yeah this is the these are the moments that will get played for the next months and months and months everyone who looks at me from a professional standpoint is going to judge me based on this one performance that i might have and so you put everything into yeah. it. So it's, it, it, yeah, like having that taken away from you, it's got to suck. And, and, and like, because we've worked events where we, our areas weren't inside the venue. They were like down the hallway or they were tucked in. Like you worked <laughs> yeah. out of a locker. We've looked out of locker rooms. We've worked out of foyers. So not, not even being in the big room, but being in the arena, we were always like, oh, this sucks. Like, ah, oh. because like you really, you want that desk in the goddamn crowd, man. Like, that MLG event, those other events, you know, like you, like it, it's just, it's so different. So, so it's not even, they're not even in the venue, right? They're not even in the country. They're not even in the continent, right? It is just like, are you kidding me? So yeah. And the energy level. So and even, cause to, to, even if your, 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 your desk is in the locker room that day when you weren't working, you could at least go sit in the venue and watch the match before you were, you felt part of, the experience, but yeah, so now they're just going to be thousands of miles away. So no, we'll, we'll probably move on from this, but no easy answer for these tournament organizers. I hope, I hope, I hope they've all feel they've gotten comfortable with their production now that they can start to look and where they can trim back on some of these maybe showy areas 
and and put that budget more towards uh, delivering a different kind of product now. You know, we've got the basics down. We all stream well. Shit doesn't go down very often. We light it up. You know what I mean? Like, all the basics are kind of being ticked on a more regular basis. Now let's spend that money towards the tool set and not the show, uh, you know. We'll see what you guys do with the major. I'm very excited to see uh, how it goes. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's it's really interesting as well, just again, sort of, as you say, you know, moving away from this point, but as a uh, one of the final thoughts on it, the fact that you know we had this situation whereby, you know, you were talking about, you know, everyone, all the TOs sort of trying to share pieces of pie, but at the moment, like, no one really wants to give away a piece of the pie and, you know, unifying the game and, and having, like, a sort of mass change to the, the ecosystem is really what's required, I think, to take the next step. And I think you're you're very right with that. And I, I did always wonder if, you know, the, the sort of financial factors would eventually price some people out and, and sort of, in that sense, forcibly um, mean that there's only a few major TOs left. Um, but I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. sort of privy to how the investment is working or how the financials are. Do you have a, do you have a quick take on whether that's a likelihood? Do you think people might get priced out? Because as you say, like things are getting more, the, the standard is getting more and more expensive. Is it just more and more investment? Is it just, le- you know, is it just level in that way? Or Well, I think, I think you've got some, some TOs that have gotten investment that are eventually like, you know, like so ESL and, M, you know, and DreamHack got investment a while ago, a couple of years ago. So now their challenge is to, you know, is to, you know, start not the books have to look good, right? Or they're going to have to trim somewhere. Is it do they trim do do they trim an event off the calendar or do they trim stuff off events, right? There's two ways to trim your budget, right? And I don't know their books to know which way would they would go. I mean, with Counter-Strike, obviously, it's an incredibly popular game. Um in the sense of viewership numbers. So the TOs like it like that, right? We have a good base that always tunes in. Um, I think it's a very expensive sport if you're a team owner and a tournament organizer, right? That The players demand a lot from tournament organizers when they go to events. And they're very expensive salary-wise, uh, tier one. Um, so I think natural selection is going to hit probably a little bit more on both sides of that. I think you'll see teams that decide that, you know what, this investment might not be for us right now. We might be overspending in this in this division. So we might see some team brands pull out. And I think we also, we've we've seen natural selection and team brands pull in and pull out. And I think we'll see that with tournament organizers. Like Gfinity is a prime example of, they tried T, Tier 1, uh, decided to kind of step down and change the way they did stuff. And we don't really see them in the T1, Tier 1 of Counter-Strike anymore. But then... You guys get bigger, you start doing more, and here comes Refresh, a brand new company going, yeah, I know you guys are all, like, fighting over this shit, but guess what? Here we come. Like, because they're coming when it's already busy, right? But they, they see, they see the, the concept of doing their events slightly different as their way in, right? We're not just going to be the same thing. We're going to have a different format. We're going to do this differently. Um, so, uh, and again, like, are they all chasing their tails, Dan, too? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what their ROIs like or what it'll be like in two years even. Um, but I get nervous that everyone might be overspending a little bit and chasing something that might not pay out what they all think it will, whether it's Counter-Strike or some of these other games. I don't think it's a bubble. I don't think we're in some weirdness. Um, but there's a whole lot of investment. And some of these teams and some of these tournament organizers' valuations on paper are crazy, crazy cool in the sense of how much they're worth. But it's inflated, I, right? I just don't. 
Yeah, I just don't know if the ROI is there yet, right? Or if it if the investment that then comes based on the valuation will bring the necessarily, uh, you know, internal money spent to then bring the ROI to why it needs to be. It's a it's again, no one's ever. This is all new still, right? This entire industry just keeps getting crazier and crazier and bigger and bigger and better. But it's all still new. You can kind of look at sports. You can kind of look at entertainment. Uh, but like it's just kind of nutty. So, uh, but I, I think we'll see new teams come and go uh, as well. Like I've had some 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 big brands uh, some reach out to me and say, hey, we want to talk to you about this game you keep like bitching at us about, like EG. I've been giving EG a shit for years. Like, why don't you guys have a Counter Strike? They want to talk to me. They want to get a little inside scoop on like what's a, what's a CS what's a CS scene like, right? Because they don't, you know, uh, price ranges are variable. You know, the ecosystem is crazy. Um, so I think again, you'll see some turnover. I guess would be the easy way to put it: new coming, old leaving. Uh, I like the idea. Again, I, I've always ranted that I like. I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea of a franchise system, but that has to be kind of run by your developer because they own the IP. Um, you can't really steal a game away from a developer and franchise and lock everybody out if the developer doesn't want you to. Um, so it's kind of got to be developer driven in our space. I don't think it works for this game. Right, I think it would be a, uh, it would do, it would do the top 16 owners that are in it better, probably more stable, but the other 30 owners and the rest of the tournament organizers that weren't part of the process, that would suffer, and so it would, it would lessen the game, I think, in a lot of regards, because we've spent so many years building up to here. We're not a brand you new. Think that thing, would so. lessen the game because you know that's obviously one perspective, but as you say, like if you do have this, you know, uh, in a 16-team system, and, and maybe you know you have like this sort of combine type thing that like the Overwatch League has, where you can, or you know, like like we we have that sort of organically, you know, with stuff like you know FPL and so on, where you can find new talent and feed new talent through. You know, is is it really a, a big cost, or is it sort of apples and oranges? Yeah, well, but, okay, so FPL happens right now, right? So if FPL was the only thing that was happening, let's say, let's say, let's just use Face It. Let's say Face It killed everybody. <laughs> wrong, wrong thing to say. Um, yeah, wrong thing to say. Don't mean it that way. Um, let's say you somehow ended up on the top of the heap, right? But there's nine other facets, right? There's eight to 10 tournament organizers that are pretty tier one that do Counter-Strike in a various level, right? Um, might be three events a year, might be seven, eight events a year. We would lose them, right? You can't have, the, the, like, because we, we kind of have, in, in a weird way, Dan, we already have two franchise leagues running. We have ECS and we have EPL, right? They are... Basically locked in, rev share, partially owned leagues by teams and tournament organizers with a slight relegation system, right? But the relegation system started after everybody was already in the club, right? You didn't wipe it clean and go, okay, we're throwing a tournament to, to see who can be an EPL team. Teams were invited. Same with, you know, same with ECS. So if you take one of those and go, this is it. ECS is our Overwatch League, is our LCS. Valve loves us. You're all done, right? Then the money that ESL and DreamHack and everybody else that is not you, that they spend in the ecosystem, goes somewhere else because they will leave, right? You, you, can't have a, you can't have a franchise league and not lock it down because the, the idea of monetizing it is you are the only game in town. That's why there is one NFL in, in the States, not two, right? So the, 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 the consolidation and the the tying it all to one big product is where that group will make more money, right? But since our game is already so big, 
the people that you are kicking out of the ecosystem is far greater, right? Interesting, yeah. Again, again like we talked about, like, like, like we talked about, like five, almost 5,000 kids last year playing Counter-Strike won some prize money. That will dramatically reduce if you lock it all down because less guys will share the pie. Now, the team owners within the franchise, certainly uh, more stable and in their minds, absolutely, they would rather go that way, right? Not every team owner, but if you ask a bunch, especially North American ones, especially ones that are currently franchised in other games, it adds stability. It adds long-term partnership with your game owner and the other teams, and they go sell big sponsorships and big TV deals. Again, so for that club... That esport would rock and roll, right? But I, the vastness of Counter Strike, you're alienating so much, you're turning off so much to do that, right? Um, that I think you uh, you hurt the sport at this point, right? I think you're much better to figure out how these big boys can maybe play together. Maybe it's a global circuit where it all works together. So a face it event leads points to something that an ESL, you know, like something that everyone has talked about forever and even had PRs about, so we're going to work together and have a unified system, but it never really happens, right? I think franchising in the sense of like unifying a lot of shit we all deal with and we all do from player contracts and how teams deal with tournament organizers and how tournament organizers deal with players and the, everything, I think you can, you can clean it up and unify it some without like, Given the keys to a bunch of people and locking I, everybody else. Yeah, I really like um, the points you're bringing up because it's it's because re- I think you know especially some of the statistics that you use, saying you know how many uh, like how the distribution works for prize money to, to so many different players and how that's we have the greatest distribution and you know we ha- you know we have the like you're basically talking to all of the the benefits and the, the pros of, of the free market system. And there's a lot of issues with it and it takes a lot of time to sort itself out. And it also takes a lot of time to, to really see the growth and, and like what the growth can be from where we are now. And, and obviously the franchise system, it, it just sounds so good. I think so many people are tired of, you know, this, the, the, all of these issues that we have, like yeah. the oversaturated schedule, the, the issue with all the TOs who are fighting each other, the issues where innovation in some regards is blocked just because, again, like the way, so in, in, in the way that some of the competition is operating. And, and so it just feels like, well, if we had the franchise, then, you know, everything would be simple. You know, we wouldn't have to worry about all these issues. But as you say, like the, the long-term growth, that's, that's like the question. And because anything that's long-term is very intangible by nature, it's very difficult sometimes to, to have the perspective. So I like that you, you did speak to that because I think at the moment, a lot of people, especially I've noticed it on social media, are supporting the, uh, the, the franchise idea. I mean, obviously it's not something that's gonna happen overnight and we have no reason to believe that Valve is suddenly gonna be like, we're gonna take over boys because they-, they uh, yeah. Do, yeah. Do, do you have any insight actually as to why it is that Valve themselves um, seems so hands off with CS:GO, and you know, in other titles, because you know, this is always a common question. It's like, oh, you know, yeah. well, you know, why, why is it that the, the Dota looks so different to Counter Strike? You know, I, other than when when I ask them, you know, because they come, the guys all come to the major, uh, and I'm, I always chat with them about a variety of stuff. Um, and I, you know, we always bring it up. It's like, where's our international? You know, why, why, why does it feel like it's two different game devs? People that. Dota and Valve, or Dota and Counter Strike, aren't even made by the same company. It's like, right, in the sense of how they embrace uh, their esports. Um, and certainly, when we started getting majors and stuff, right, I was like, oh, this is this is how it starts, right? This is their 
And then our majors became, we had majors before Dota had majors, right? They took our majors, then made the majors of Dota lead to the TI with a whole invite system, right? So I was like, oh, shit. I wonder if we're then going to get some, our majors leading to a TI. And we just never did, right? We get two majors a year. So asking them, you know, they, they, they kind of give the company line that, you know, every game kind of runs their own thing, you know, the, much like the Valve ethos that you work where you want. A lot more people on the Dota team. It's a lot more popular game. Um, so there's a lot more to the esports people that work over there. And Counter-Strike's a smaller team. And so it's more focused on the overall game and less on the esports side. You know, if 20 people all of a sudden want to work for Counter-Strike esports, maybe they all would. I don't know how much that is true or not, you know? Um, uh, and I don't know why they, they, they keep it so separate. Because I sit here, like, again, we're just the international descended, right? And, like, I look at the idea of the compendium that they do and the amount of money they crowdfund, not only for themselves, but for the, you know, obviously, the, Valve makes a boatload of millions on the compendium, and then a, a chunk of it goes to the players, too. Uh, it helps everyone, right? Yeah, it's not like they're losing money, right? It helps pay for their production and their broadcasts and everything. So why why they did the esports case and then never really went past it and never really flushed it out even further than those cases those first couple times, you know, and never really continued to figure out how to take the same concept of, like, crowdfunding a fan base? I don't get it. it I, I just don't get it, right? And again, this time at the major, I will ask them again, you know, uh, because <laughs> because if we if they did a compendium and they have to do something different, right? It's a different kind of game, but they could do a compendium where like VIP mode shows up if we hit ten million dollars or something, right? Like it, like we we I don't know if we would give as much money as Dota because it's a much bigger probably game overall globally and it's now it's an ongoing thing this compendium, right? Um, but I guarantee, I mean, we would raise the prize purse of every goddamn major by a lot, right? By a lot, like in a heartbeat, right? Um, so I don't, I don't know why they don't flip the crowdfunding switch, regardless of what, other than they do, they do for like, obviously the, the team stickers and the player autographs, but that doesn't, that doesn't generate any publicity buzz for the tournament because it doesn't add to a prize purse, right? That's what helps the international. Oh my God, it's 20 million. Oh my God, it's 25 million. Right. Um, so you know, if they figured out a way to, like, again, let the fans not only... It's great. You don't get wrong. Supporting the teams and supporting the TOs and supporting the players with those <coughs> in-game items is freaking awesome. Another thing, like, watching Dota, again, I always get reminded. I go, oh, look at that EG banner right there by their home base with their logos of their biggest sponsors on it. How cool is that? That's going to be shown for 40 minutes in-game. How awesome is that for these teams? They could tell their sponsors, if they make the international, that their, their logos are in-game. Right? Why don't we have? Why hasn't the Counter Strike devs thought about uh, for these premier events figuring out a banner in T and CT spawn or something like that? Because that would make Jack's life easier as a Cloud Niner. He's got just one more place that he's got those logos. Right? Um, those kind of things. Right? Um, those don't. Those are cosmetic. They don't affect, but they go a long way to a team owner. That's for damn sure, man. Um, so, I don't know. It's on my list to ask him again. I don't know why it's so <laughs> separate because I know we would all give money. We would all, we would all, we'd all use whatever crowdfunding thing they did, right? Um, if they, oh, if, yeah, if, if yeah, they, yeah. And, and they have to be careful. Like, like my, I just thought off the top of my head. Well, if they let me put five bucks on my pick em, on my skins and let that money go to the, but then I'm gambling, right? But, but if I had to pay, 
to do something, right? And they just took a slice off of that and it added to the prize purse because people, it's, it's the same weird thing as when, uh, you know, people donate on Twitch to people, right? Because part of it is you want to see it happen. You want to get your recognition, but you also want to see that number grow. We want to be part of that growth, you know, and our fans, like the Dota fans love seeing that they broke the record again, right? Um, and I, again, I just think we would, I, I think our, our audience would love to, to help, right? And that would, that would, Valve gets a slice of all that shit, right? So I don't, I don't know, Dan. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a such a good feeling of some like being a part of something that's greater, and and it's funny because especially you know when we see that image of you know and we see not only the image but we I think we've known from the start that you know Gabe Newell who is you know absolutely the face of the of the company you know he's he's you know pushing um, Dota like it's the straight A student and you know yeah, CS:GO totally. we're just like the the nerd in the basement playing D and D with Dorito stains on our shirt you know like just, yeah. just, just be forgotten and abandoned and I don't I, and I, I haven't compared our Steam stats like I don't know how much smaller we are as a game to them in the sense of like a player base but like if you look at esports earnings for the, like the last well for the last forever it just take away the excessive international and like. We're one and two and three every year right there with Dota and League for prize purse. So without their, you know, it, it, so in, on, on, the, on an even ecosystem, again, taking out the prize funding of the international, we're right there with Dota all the goddamn time. So it's not like we are the stepchild when it comes to uh, what the rest of the world is doing with the game in regards to esports, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just don't know why. I can give you the numbers quickly. I just Googled it. Um, so... Uh, so today, the peak for Dota 2 was 730,000, and the current players right now is, and it's like uh, 10 p.m. in Europe, uh, is 445,000, and the peak for Counter Strike today was 425,000. So that's only a 300,000. I mean, it's not an enormous difference, and the the current players is 346,000. So their peak was far larger than ours, but. But other than that, not much different. And and I suppose like because we're talking about current players versus peak, yes, Asia, absolutely. Yeah, because obviously they they play Dota and League way more play there. And CS is growing in Asia as well. I mean, yeah. it was in an interesting step, you know, having a Perfect World. Um, he was sort of the um, yeah. Now that uh, it's out there and available, right? Yeah, they're, so, they're the yeah. Rep representative of Valve over there. For um, CS I, I just and so wish on. they. Because again, it's definitely on my list to talk about. Because again, in this ecosystem where team owners are worried about are they paying too much, the uh, revenue streams, like we need to ponder all these ideas to make, uh, try to get as much money for all sides of this pie, right? Um, or again, we'll we'll see some drop off. And again, I think natural selection. If you're gonna, you're gonna, uh, here's the thing on franchising, right? Versus natural selection. Like natural selection will will keep team owners competitive. Um, we'll keep tournament organizers competitive and we'll keep players competitive, right? Once you're in the NFL, you cannot, I mean, you have to sell or you have to break the law, right? You're not going to lose your spot. Once you have an Overwatch spot, once you pay that money for Overwatch, you can't get relegated. You would have to sell your spot or, again, break all Blizzard's rules to lose your spot, right? That doesn't enhance competition, at the end of the day, right? Like this open market does, right? Open rankings, all these kind of things, right? Um, and again, not to say that there's not a place for franchising, but to me, it just leads way, way more to a game that's brand new or not developed yet. And you can get those legs under it versus this spider that Counter-Strike already is, right? 
it's, uh, it's quite smart really because it's such a it, like looking at all the the vc that's coming in and or just the investment in general the like investing into a franchise team is just so much safer for someone mm -hmm. who is rich and just wants to shove their money in yeah yeah you know and again and that's why i don't necessarily poo poo the model like in, in especially for games like overwatch but now but to that example though overwatch has a problem with finding the next players right so they have to fund contenders which does not make money and the, the teams that own contenders teams that don't own OWL teams don't necessarily like it because they don't, they're not in the dance. They're like outside the dance and their players will get poached to go to the dance. So they're like in tier two. So they have to maybe buy an expansion if they ever get allowed if, when those get opened up. So like the farm system is kind of a losing world right now in Overwatch. It's funded a lot by Blizzard and those teams. Because uh, it didn't grow organically, they kind of closed it all down. Where again, to your point, we have FPL, we have the you know the ESEA products, we've got all you know we've got just open mat, we've got all sorts of ways to find players, right? And all that gets limited to a, a different kind of focus when you when you start locking it down from the top and bringing it on down. I like to think that even though we play a team game, it's more like golf or more like tennis. Anyone can jump in. Right. Good luck. You're not going to play on the PGA Tour until you do this, this, and this. But like, there's no one stopping someone from becoming a pro golfer. You don't have to be recruited by an owner. You don't have to be an owner. Right. Same thing with being a tennis player. So those are individual sports. But I like the organization of them better than like this team model. Right. And if anything, I like the European model of football or soccer, if you will, for for me, because there's relegation. Right, you if you suck, you're gonna pay for it. Right, you're gonna have to drop on down, and you can come. And if you're if you're down and you're really good, welcome to Premier League, baby. That to me would be the only way I would like it. Like the fact that these 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 ones we already have aren't don't have relegation just speaks to me that the team owners made it that way. Right, so there was no loss, no chance of losing their investment. Right, um, and again, that just yep, yep. That, I think that cuts a little competitiveness off. If you if you don't have to fight for literally your survival in the league, right? Uh, yeah. And, anyway, uh, and mo moving forward, some slightly, uh, I really wanted to get your thoughts on maybe maybe it could be like the one team that you think is doing the best when it comes to sort of brand building, you know, merchandising, fan engagement, ooh. and all that kind of thing. Because you know, going back into your history, as you described in the previous uh, podcast on part one. You know, you you're part of EG in this in this amazing. I mean, EG was incredibly prolific from these perspectives and was doing a lot of amazing marketing that no one had really done quite in that way before. That really built the brands like in, in an incredible way 